You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 544 for February 10th, 2021. On today's show, vocalist and keyboardist Rachel Eckroth. I am coming to you from the one, California Highway 1, going up the Pacific Coast. In some places, it's called the Pacific Coast Highway, but not everywhere. I started in California down in the San Diego area. I have now gone through LA and San Francisco, and I am just north of Mendocino. So still along the coast, along the cliffs and the beautiful bays, uh, I have been checking out all kinds of cool things on my travels. You can keep up with those travels and see photos and all that kind of thing if you go to Instagram.com slash Vanarchism. It's just the word anarchism with a V at the beginning. Instagram.com slash Vanarchism. This show right here exists because listeners become members. Thanks to Birger for becoming the latest member. You rock. Really appreciate it. Please become one today for 5 or 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Now that I'm traveling in a van, uh, more than ever, your money is going, I mean, quite literally to keeping me alive and on the road. So I really appreciate everybody who is uh, contributing. Thanks so much. Would you do me another favor? This one is completely free. It just takes a few minutes of your time. Would you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen? When I started the jazz session 14 years ago, there were, or almost 14 years ago, there were no other jazz interview podcasts, and now there are quite a few other jazz podcasts. So it just helps the jazz session rise up in that kind of crowded field that exists now if it has more good ratings and reviews. So if you can take a few minutes of your time and do that, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. Rachel Eckroth and her husband, past guest on the show, Tim LaFave, have just released a duo recording. It's called The Blackbird Sessions, Volume 1. You ain't been Rachel Eckroth, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, we have we first met 26 years ago, I think I figured out the math, and uh, in in Tucson, Arizona, where we both lived at the time, um, we actually uh, even played a gig together once, and then the intervening 25 and a half years, we have never <laughs> spoken again uh, wow. until it's, it's until insane. this moment. So yeah, it's been a, a quarter century since the last time we exchanged uh, words I can't, yeah, in real time. I can't time. believe I had a gig 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we were both playing in a, at a cafe Sweetwater with Alexi Viana. Um, oh wow! Yep, 
many. Wow, that's my my brother's good friend. Yep. Yeah, many many moons ago. So, uh, in any case, it's lovely to uh, have you on the show. You have done a million things in the intervening twenty five years. Um, we are going to spend at least the initial bit of time talking about the Blackbird Sessions Volume One, which is uh, mostly a duo album. We'll talk about the way in which it's not exclusively a duo duo album uh, that features past guest of the show uh, Tim Lefave on bass and you on vocals. And so let's just start with the origin story of this project. Will you tell folks how this got off the ground, how you decided to make this duo recording? Yeah. So uh, Tim is my husband. So, um, you know, we, we basically went into lockdown in a house together and, um, we started a Patreon page where part of it was just doing performances, um, weekly. So, there was one um, one thing that we did, which was just bass and vocals, so upright bass and vocals, and it was kind of a hit on our page. So we were like, hmm, that's interesting. So then um, NPR also had us do a, oh, I forget what it's called. It's um, Jazz Night in America, I think it was called, a little kind of like online um, concert kind of thing. So we did a song. We did one of my um, original songs for that which was just bass and vocals. Just the sound of it was real cool. So we decided to make a record to, I mean, it it wasn't, it wasn't um, for any real commercial reason. We just wanted to do it and kind of have it recorded, have it documented and share it with our friends and family and whoever likes it. I mean, that was kind of the origin of it. It was just sort of like, because we were together in a place you know, kind of forced to be there, although we don't mind it, but that's kind of like the start of it. I think those of us on the outside could imagine that when a married couple are both professional musicians, that one of two things might happen. Either they're always playing together or they never play together. I'm sure the actual truth is that there's a whole spectrum there, but I'm curious about how common it was for you and Tim to be making music together before you started this Patreon page. Yeah, well, I mean, how common was it for us to even see each other? <laughs> it's Fair not enough. Very common, because we, I mean, we basically met while we were both kind of like in different cities. So we didn't, we weren't living in the same city. So he was on tour, I was living in New York, and then from there we were always touring. So we would kind of see each other maybe, maybe a week every month, like a week total every month for a few years. And it worked fine, you know, it's just what we do. So, and occasionally meet in different cities and stuff if, we, if it matched up. We, so we weren't playing a lot together for those years. And the um, kind of few things we did were some local gigs in LA when we were both in town. And then um, he produced my record a few years ago called When It Falls. So that was kind of like the most that we were doing. And now it's, it's basically every day. Does the pandemic represent the greatest consecutive number of days you've ever spent together? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. See, it's not all bad. (laughs) No, it's cool. We're getting to know each other finally. (laughs) Well, no no time like the present. (laughs) I know. He's interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm glad. That's well, yeah, because the other revelation would really suck. So, uh, yeah, right. that's that's the right one to have. East of the sun, 
about the repertoire on Blackbird Sessions Volume 1 because it is uh, it's a set of standards. It's actually, I mean, funnily enough, it's kind of a context that I don't think of either of you particularly playing because I'm I'm kind of more familiar with your own music that you've written and familiar with Tim from a variety of contexts. None of them are really playing jazz standards. So it's kind of cool to hear both of you in this setting. And um, I wonder why you chose the repertoire you did. What what spoke to you about it? I guess the concept was kind of like we both started in that place, um, just in terms of like how we, you know, where we started as musicians. So when I was like 14 and 15, I was super into vocal vocalists, jazz vocalists like Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan. And so that was like my big influence. And I was like dead set on being a jazz singer when I was a teenager. And then, um, you know, that kind of changed as I went through college and stuff as, as a pianist. So like, that was my, that was my main focus where I started from. And he started on upright bass playing jazz. His dad was a, um, a piano player. So I think he learned a little bit of standards and stuff from listening to his dad play. That was our origins musically. So that was sort of why we chose those songs. And I kind of chose songs that I've always loved and maybe never sang and wanted to try out. Tell me about uh, singing with just a bass for accompaniment. I don't know if I could do that with every bass player. I think because he's so harmonically advanced and we both, we're both really familiar with the, the chord structure of all the songs, it left room for us to uh, like trust each other harmonically that it would work out <laughs> just because we have, we have that trust musically that we didn't really need the accompaniment. And I, I also don't know if like a listener who doesn't know those songs would get that same feeling or not. I'm not totally sure, but <laughs> well, we did it anyway. Yeah. And I, I can't comment cause I know all of the songs <laughs> that you right. sang really well. So um, exactly. yeah, I didn't notice anything missing. And that is, I think, both a combination of, well, there really isn't anything missing. And also having a real awareness of those tunes, your brain kind of fills in whatever information it might need to help things cohere. But honestly, I don't think there's too much work that's required on the part of a listener's brain because the two of you just, you know, flow together really seamlessly, I think, throughout these tunes. If you hear a song in blue, Let me take a quick break from the interview to remind you about becoming a member. I am traveling the country in a van, uh, a small van, a minivan, as a matter of fact, a 21-year-old minivan, 22 years old now. Oh, happy birthday, Lenny. Uh, we are traveling the country. I'm doing interviews, and some of them are in person, socially distanced, and many of them are uh, over the phone or Skype, as they have been in, in recent years. So uh, to keep that going, I mean, quite literally, to put gas in the tank and food on the table, well, there's not a table, but you see what I mean, uh, it takes your contributions. So if you can see your way to contributing five or ten bucks a month, uh, that's a huge help to me. You'll get bonus content and early access to the shows and all that kind of stuff. So thanks very much for becoming a member. And now, back to the show. That was my heart trying to compose 
As I mentioned at the top, it's not exclusively a duo record. There is a third player. Will you uh, tell us who that is? Yeah, David Garza, who is not really known for being a jazz musician, but he's a great guitarist and a a fun guy and a great songwriter and a producer. Um, So I I met David um, last year in L.A. on a gig, and... We hit it off and we, we started writing songs together. So we were actually working on a few of those songs in Tucson and it lined up so that um, we'd all be in the studio one day together. So he sat in on a couple songs. He's actually like, he knows a lot of standards and he's actually like played them on the guitar for me before. He's like, you know, edging me to sing some songs. And so I was like, you know, that would be really perfect because he he has that like really cool acoustic vibe, kind of like Django vibe when he's doing those jazz, when he's doing jazz tunes. So it worked out that he was, you know, there and Tim was here. I mean, he was in, in Tucson. Tim was here at the same time. So we all just all went in and laid down those songs. I guess the place I know David from is mostly working, or the place I first learned about him from was working with Fiona Apple. Then when I saw him on this record, I was thinking, oh, I, I had no idea <laughs> this guy also could just play beautiful acoustic jazz guitar. It was kind of a left field thing yeah. for me. Yeah, he's really great. Um, and he's like a really great um, rhythm, like acoustic rhythm guitar player as well. So. It's just cool. It's cool to hear him do some some standard stuff with us. Will you talk about uh, for folks who might just be being introduced to you through this interview? Will, you mentioned that you started out uh, with you know kind of a real obsession with classic singers, and your own music has evolved quite a lot over the years, um, gone to a lot of different places sonically, expanding beyond the piano into keyboards. And uh, I'm just I'm curious about your your own progression and kind of to what you attribute your growth is it as a result of of listening of the playing context in which you've been some combination of a bunch of factors i'm just i'm curious about how you've you feel you've evolved as a musician i'm i I guess i'm the kind of person that wants to keep trying new things so if i hear something that i like i'll be like hmm maybe i'm gonna do that too you know and so i think uh, that has taken me on this weird path for 25 years you know, I started off singing and, and wanting to just be like, you know, Diana Crawl. And then and then I was writing big band music. So then I was all just like, you know, immersed in that in my 20s. And then I went to grad school, was playing more piano. And then when I was like 29, I, I really started writing lyrics. So and this is all like through people I meet and gigs I do and things I hear, you know. Um, I had a friend that kind of pushed me to write, start writing some songs with him. And so that started my songwriting career, I guess. And so all through my 30s, I was 
writing lyrics and kind of getting better at it. Well, I did start playing keyboards when I was really young, but I wasn't really like trying to be a synth player. I was just doing gigs. And so um, later on, um, probably in my early 30s, I started kind of experimenting on roads and whirlies and stuff like that. And, And I guess when I met Tim five six seven years ago that's when I started getting into like more like analog synths and sounds and and creating sounds and working with pedals and (laughs) so it's just all it's just been a big progression of just like who I meet and what sounds cool at the time you know yeah I've really enjoyed kind of random yeah, I think, which is, I think, fabulous. I've, I've really enjoyed as, uh, I mean, the the primary way that I guess that anybody keeps in contact with anyone they don't actually know is through social media. And for me, that's mostly been Instagram where you're concerned. And so I've seen a lot of videos of, you know, check out this cool new kind of sonic landscape that I've been able to create using, you know, X, Y, and Z, which is super fun because I really am into that kind of experimentation. And uh, so it's been fun you know, just kind of from afar watching you as you have added more and more and more to the palette of your, of your music, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun for me. I, the funny thing is like, you know, speaking of big band, that was kind of like, besides singing and playing piano, that was like my identity for a while. And I feel like all of these little things I've been working on over the years are starting to culminate now now that I'm 44. So, so now like all these things that I've been working on for all these years are finally like becoming almost a reality. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels like I'm, I'm actually like getting these things recorded and, you know, getting, getting these projects finished that I've been working on for so long. So I guess that's sort of satisfying that you're finding the the palette that was kind of in your brain that you were using the big band to partially create you're finding that now using synth means and things like that is that is that what you're getting at definitely that yeah yeah i mean it and the and literally like not that i can put a big, big band together right now but my book is large now <laughs> and i'm like you know that's like a big part of me is just the arranger in me so like a lot of that a lot of the stuff I do, um, you know, with, with sounds is, is kind of like arranging for big band in a way, just layering and seeing what sounds good together and trying, you know, different things. So yeah, for sure. My heart is sad and Body and soul. 
One more brief break to thank the people who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music ever since day one. Dave Rabel designed the logo way back in the day. Chuck Ingersoll is more recently the voice of the intro. You can hire him to do your voiceover work at hearchucknow.com. You can follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazz. Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H. You can follow it on Instagram at The Jazz Session. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, my travels, all that stuff, go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link to subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out every couple of weeks. Now, back to the episode. Turn away romance Are you pretending It looks like the ending Unless I can have one more chance to prove Um, I want to step into uh, another part of your career where uh, your professional life and my uh, fandom dovetailed, which is that I'm a a huge fan of Rufus Wainwright. And uh, so... I don't even during pandemic time. I have no idea if anything was 50 years ago or last week, but I'm going to say about two years ago, maybe less. You were touring uh, both as the opening act and a member of Rufus's band. And I remember when I first saw that, that was just one of those like, oh, my God, moments for me, because that's like an artist I love and a person like, you know, we don't know each other. But I mean, a person I've I've met, I've once been on stage with who is now, you know, touring around with this person who I think is kind of an icon of the modern music world. So I'd be interested just to hear uh, how that happened and and what it was like for you, both as a, a band member, as an opening act, the whole thing. On my on my record, When It Falls, we had a guitarist named Jerry Leonard, who was a Bowie guy. He was touring with Bowie for a long time. Um, and Tim knows him because of the Bowie connection. And, you know, there were, I think it was two songs or three songs we had him play for the record. I'm and just so going to interrupt that- for one second, oh, just to yeah. tell listeners who might not know that the Bowie connection is that Tim played in Bowie's last band, the band that made the album Black Star. And if you want to hear more about that, you can check out the interview with Tim. But that's what the connection is, just for folks who might not have that context. Jerry played on my record. And then so with that, he knew that I had a a solo project and that I was a keyboard player. And so he remembered me when the time came to find somebody for that position that could both um, play keyboards in the band and then do an opening thing. So for the opening act, I sort of did a, uh, a one man kind of like one man band thing with a couple of synths and like this sort of um, a vocal processor. So I was doing my songs and triggering some sounds and stuff like that. It was about I had about three or four keyboards up on stage and doing the whole thing and singing. And it was awesome. It was so fun to to be in front of a giant audience <laughs> doing this thing that I'd never done before. Like it was sort of a I just sort of created the um, the show for this opening act, so otherwise it would have I would have had a whole band, but I they couldn't do that. So it was just me, and then um, being in Rufus's band is great. You know, he's such a good singer, and I think our voices really mesh together well. So I, I think I was, um, you know, I was kind of hired more of a singer for his his uh, show because there were a couple keyboardists, and I did. I did minimal keyboard stuff and like a lot of strings playing string parts. How long did you have between knowing you were going to be 
the opening act and actually having to be the opening act? How long did you have to create this show from thin air? It was about four months, something like that. So, yeah, and a, and a lot of it was, I mean, it's like, what do you do to make the make it interesting for the audience and not just go stand out front and play one keyboard and sing your songs, you know? So Tim kind of helped me with the the concept a little bit, just like, you know, he actually created some of the beats that I triggered, that I played to, and, you know, he, he really helped me out figuring out what to make, you know, how to sonically make it rad. So people would be like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, what was the first night like when you, the first time you stepped out in front of one of those large audiences to do this thing that you I'm sure had rehearsed, but hadn't actually done in front of an audience before. Right. I didn't even ever, like, I never rehearsed it until that. And I mean, I rehearsed it at home, but for the show we you know i did a sound check and that was my rehearsal being wow. on the stage so yeah it was crazy um but you know it's it's exhilarating it's like you go out and there's like 2000 people there and fortunately i had a great like great in-ear monitors so i could really hear myself and everything i was doing um so i don't know then it was i was nervous for the first song and then after that it was cool you know you figure it out you're like okay you know, I can't, you can't really see anyone's faces. So that kind of helps. You're just seeing lights and you just do the thing. You try to be, you know, try to be interesting, try to, <laughs> try to sing, right. Try to, to remember the words. And, and it was awesome. You know, I, I really enjoyed those moments and it, it felt like it got better, obviously, as the tour went on. So, and then, and, and there was a nice, you know, pe- people received it well. So it was just nice to get that love from the audience i know you're involved with other projects um these days i just saw i think an announcement of one the other day um can you talk about what else what else you're working on what am i working on 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 february 15th we're dropping it's a kind of a three producer project in a way um with this artist named alison that i know from phoenix um so he tim and i produced this amazing track <laughs> so he he kind of wrote the song i co-wrote it with him but the track is just it's just out of this world it's like super synthy and has and cory fonville is playing drums on it so the beat is insane and um but also we made a video for it so the videos is crazy. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's like, um, you know, these graphics, I had a, a, a video guy in um, Colombia that worked on a previous video with me, like, um, this one called perfect love that I did about a year ago. Um, so he did all this craziness to the, the scenes that we shot here in quarantine at home. And how awesome. does one it's come to out. have a video guy in Colombia? <laughs> exactly. I found him on Instagram, actually. Was a, I think I was looking for I was looking for someone to do some this is when I when I had my When It Falls album come out and I was looking for somebody to do some graphics on a picture or something. And so I was just kind of searching around and seeing what people were doing and and he I think he reached out to me first. He was kind of just like, Hey, you need something? You know, because I was like, This is awesome. You know, and then he said said, said that, and he's and he's just like been incredible ever since. So, tell me so. about that collaboration. How do you do? You have ideas going in for what the final product should look like. Are you kind of working on 
off like a you know a mood or I want it, I want it to evoke this kind of thing. Tell me more about that. Well, the thing about his name is Tatch Tabuada, and he is kind of working on his own his own timeline and his own planet. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, you know, basically I've learned with him that I just, I just basically send him something and see what I get back, you know? (laughs) So, and it's, and he's great. So, um, the original idea for this video for the song called Moot Points is, which is coming, coming out on the 15th, it was sort of supposed to be like, um, Twin Peaks ish kind of scenes, so we just filmed a bunch of random scenes in my house and I tried to get like cool lighting and everything. I'm not like a great, uh, videographer. I'm good enough, but so we got a bunch of weird things and he basically took it and then drew graphics all over it. So, and it doesn't look like, it's not like he was drawing, but it's like, um, video effects. I don't, I, I don't know what it's called technically, but it's like, um, characters and scenes and, and super like electronic graphic-y looking stuff now. So my orig- original idea is pretty much out the window, but <laughs> the um, the end result was awesome. So and I think it really fit this song well. Oh, it's a long, long while from May to December. The days grow short when you reach September, when the autumn weather turns the leaves to down the road are there other projects you've you've got either going now or things that you're that you're planning out yeah actually um i'm working with this label called rainy days records out of russia and they of course. are allowing i know they're allowing me to do a record that they're gonna make they're gonna pay for it so we actually went um last week to sonic ranch studios and recorded that with um, a drummer named Christian Human, who's done some stuff with me in the past. So Tim, Christian, and I, we recorded about 12 songs, and it's going to come out later on uh, this year. And it's supposed to have Donnie McCaslin on it as well and um, Near Felder. Should be cool. It's mostly instrumental. And they'll be doing, I imagine, their stuff separately just because that's the nature right. of the universe these days, right? Yeah. Exactly, right. We couldn't all get together, so they're going to record in New York some of their stuff and um it's cool i think it turned out really awesome so there's just it's it's mostly instrumental it's like my jazz record but it's very synthy and kind of outside no that sounds great i'm excited to hear that so as we were just talking about obviously we're in the middle of you know the calamity and uh, a lot of people have found online outlets to still be able to interact with fans and make music Uh, will you talk about the thing that uh, you're doing 
Yeah. So Tim and I started a Patreon page at the beginning of the pandemic and it's called Live from Blackbird. So that's the name of our, our street we lived on in California. Um, we, we ended up moving to Tucson just to get lower rent basically for now. Live from Blackbird has um, has uh, a few tiers, one called Bass Concepts, which is a weekly bass lesson. And then Tim does a, um, a pedal combo rundown every, three times a week. So it's like effects pedals, basically. And he, he'll, he shows them on bass. Um, we're doing a track of the week, which basis, so far I've been producing them. So it's just like every Tuesday we present a new track that we make at home. And then what is the last one? Um, oh, yeah, we do an improvisation that comes out every Monday. So it's me, Tim, sometimes another person, but me, Tim, and all the synths and everything. So synth, drum machines, bass, whatever we can think of, sometimes singing. Other than that, we're both teaching on a website called lessons.live. So that's uh, that's how we're paying rent right now, those things. <laughs> the new record is called The Blackbird Sessions Volume 1. Uh, you can find it wherever records are available. And my guest for this episode has been Rachel Eckroth. Rachel, it's been a delight to talk to you. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy for how things have been going for you since the last time we spoke. And uh, <laughs> wish you all the best, and I hope you'll come back. Thank you. I appreciate you calling. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to meet in person someday again. <laughs> Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Thanks to my guest this week, Rachel Eckroth. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Bye. Bye. Bye.